Get ready for non-stop action. Get ready for non-stop excitement. They're doing the job possibly nobody wants. Watching every canon film and analyzing them. To death. Frank Garcia Hale. Jeff Garlock in the canon canon. Well, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I even got a special bullet for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out and do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it. Every single day. You know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now that's the reason. And happy holidays. Welcome to the Canon Canon. My name is Jeff Garlock. And no, Frank Garcia Hale here today. That's right. The, the Canon bros are separated. Uh, Frank is uh, away on business. And when I say away on business, I mean he's on vacation with his family, uh, as he should be, because it's the holidays. And instead, I'm sitting here recording an episode for you people in the best way possible. And so, yeah, it is, but I am, here's the thing. I am not solo on this. Oh no. And I'll tell you how I'm not solo in a little bit. Uh, first, I just want to do a, a quick little bit of business. Uh, as you all know, Canon Canon fans, uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the Canon Canon. Uh, on the Patreon, we have so many fun things. Uh, we have a bunch of different tiers. We have, uh, could have been a canon episodes. As you know, every month we do at least one episode that isn't a canon film. Uh, because, of course, uh, this is the canon canon. And this is the podcast where we talk about canon films and all their amazing output. But sometimes we do could have been a canon. And they come out early on the Patreon. We also have commentary episodes. Uh, we just had an American Ninja commentary episode full watch along with me and Frank for the entire movie on our free feed. We have a whole bunch of ones exclusive to the Patreon itself. We have Garlock soundtrack corner videos. We have, uh, we have polls that always go up. Our Patreon members uh, just gave us a long list of the all basically what Canon films we should be covering soon. And it's quite a list. And so they are governing what are going to be a lot of our choices in the future here? Uh, and so I want you to think about joining that Patreon in this holiday season. Uh, and uh, because we could use that support here. And speaking of support, I want to give a shout out to some new Patreon members. Ed Harris, thank you for joining. I'm blanking on the call letters, but I think KXLU, I think we were talking about some KXLU uh, 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 promos and they were blowing my mind uh, for back in the day for some canon related uh, movie things. Also, uh, Andrew Puchner, I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right, but I am definitely pronouncing that I appreciate you being a Patreon member. Uh, and you might be getting a second one, Brian Armstrong. I might have already said it, but thank you for joining the greatest. That means you are going to be picking. It could have been a canon episode at some point because, again, a reminder, if you are a greatest tier member after six months, you get to tell us what to do. And we have had some great ones. Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh, God. Predator 2. Pure cocaine on film. It was amazing to watch. But I just want you all to think about doing that as we enter the holiday season. And, oh, ding, ding, ding. That's sleigh bells rigged. 
because it is the holiday season. And that is what we are doing today. I I first want to introduce my guest here. Uh, You might actually, if you are a Canon Canon head, uh, you might recognize this person because he surprisingly comes up a lot. Uh, He he is a man who uh, does not listen to podcasts, um, hardly has any setup, to do a podcast and you might hear that in this audio quality just giving you a little heads up we like to say that uh, we're, we're recording in a couple different ways here because we're punk rock too man that's how this works uh, but you've heard me bring up uh, and we have brought up as we call him friend of the show uh, even though again he does listen to podcasts he doesn't know probably that we're talking about him half the time uh, but uh, because often I have been talking about this whatever can film we were talking about at that moment you mostly know him from John and Jeff are married a classic IFC web series starring him and me yeah that's right the comedy crib that was a, a, a format we all loved <laughs> certainly had no issues with that you also definitely know him from Stone Cold Fox. <laughs> I'm mostly giving these credits because it's fun to watch him react to the credits that I'm giving him. Also want to give him a shout out to the Boss Cast, a podcast that he did about Bruce Springsteen as a man with no podcast tech or a really desire to listen to podcasts. What other fun credits am I missing for? Oh, 30 Rock. You always got to do the classic because people love to never let all of the not extras, but quote unquote writer's room, (laughs) silent writer's room people ever forget that that was one of their gigs they did about 20,000 years ago. That's right. I'm having a lot of fun with one of my close friends, John Murray. John, how you doing? Oh, man. What what an introduction. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. You had me. You had me at comedy crib. You had me at the comedy crib. I mean, we had we had the world's at comedy yeah, yep. crib. I mean, that was all of our hands. We had the world's balls in our hands when we joined that illustrious comedy platform. The nice part about comedy platforms is they never go away. You know, you always know you're signing up for something that's going to live on in history. And at one point in your life, you're not going to go in a mad, frantic rush of thinking, wait a second, did something I worked my ass off on just disappear? Maybe. And then you go, oh, phew. No, it still exists in a format where no one really watches it. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, John, uh, I also got to give a classic John Murray shout out to you. I believe uh, uh, a long time ago, you text and was like, dude, uh, you got to have me on Canon. And I said, of course, and we've been thinking about it. And then you go, caveat, again, no setup. <laughs> I got setup, no microphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I I when I did a podcast for a year and a half, I had to go to someone's house because they had the setup. They took care of everything. Never, they, that's never a moment. You thought, I should just check on Amazon. <laughs> I, should, I should go shopping and do this myself. I was like, no. Never at all. Would it help me to probably book voiceover work? Probably. There's like a million avenues that it would benefit me. But you know what, gang? I'm too busy watching crap movies. So, you know, that's that's where I'm at. That is very true. So, I mean, what, you know, one of the reasons John comes up on here is that uh, we have a, essential, a very long-running thread that is really a documentation of crap movies. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it is every... 
I want to say almost every day, I feel like there's at least one text that feels like between you and me of like, I saw this. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> like, I saw this. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you and I have both separate jobs on that thread where you are constantly looking back. You're digging through the old ones while I'm heading forth and looking for the new ones. And you tell like, me you finally watched movie. Nobody last night. And then I was, I took that to go, you know what I should do is let it ride starring Richard Dreyfuss. Love that movie. <laughs> and David Johansson streaming anywhere. It isn't. I think you got to rent it and I might pay for the rental, but don't worry. Moon over Parador is, I believe it's on Tubi. Uh, the two movies that as a child made me think, wow. Richard Dreyfuss is a comedic genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let it ride. I remember Let It Ride being really funny. Uh, Moon Over Parador, I remember not liking, but then I remember the end being really good. That like yeah. it's like this like kind of sweet ending. It, I, I remember, remember Moon Over like, Parador being kind of charming. Um, yes, and I think it was one my dad enjoyed as well. Like for no gotcha. particular reason. I mean, b- besides the fact that Richard Dreyfuss can be very charming in that era. Right. I mean, that was also, I think it was the same exact year those were released. So, like, I want to say 88, 89. So, it was like, wow. Big, big year for was like, We got them for Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Let's, we got a three-picture deal. Get these Dreyfus movies out, baby. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, you know what I'm doing? Always, baby. Let's get maudlin as fuck. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve just called. All right, I got to suit up again. All right? <laughs> I got I to gotta be the stand-in. I got to be the stand-in for Steve. That's my job. I'll see you all later. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, this is what we do. Yeah, I go back, you stay here, and we meet in the middle. And it's a lot of me being like, revisited, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a part of it is because I have too many podcasts revisiting life, but also, you know, that's where my bread and butter is. I got I to reevaluate nostalgia. Every once in a while, you get me, or maybe I'll, I'll dust that off. But mostly I'm just like, oh, I keep on being like, I got to, I got to see I, right now my mentality and it could be like pandemic instigated, but I'm always like, I got to keep going forward. I got to find like the next like crappy action films that are out there. I got to like, you know, someone's yeah. got to be making because exactly. it's a dying genre. It is, but we have plenty of can fans who are constantly recommending ones that are new and like, and, and, and out there. Uh, uh, yeah. and ones that are also, they'll be like, this one's kind of canon <laughs> Like, I always am like, does that sell me? Or does right. that make me actually stay away from that? <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, well, yeah. it was charming when it was 1986. Like, it seems like we should have all learned a few things. That's one of the problems <laughs> yeah. when me and Frank are constantly like, oh, we're going to write our, like, canon-style action script. But then it's like, well, how do we work around all the problematic things we enjoy in these things? Exactly, yeah. Uh, speaking of problematic... <laughs> so what we're doing here today so like i said frank is away and i had an idea where i was like oh you know what i would love to talk to john murray about is we're in the holiday season we are it is started officially you know the minute thanksgiving hits that's when two two big things happen the christmas carols start in the radio and the debates on twitter and social media about if Die Hard is a holiday movie and if you're an asshole for even talking about it and everyone judging each other completely one way or the other in some dumb debate about Die Hard. But what that means is there are, you know, this comes up a lot watching canon films too. Uh, 
there are a lot of holiday action films. Uh, and I, I wanted to have a little roundtable discussion going through this because also it's around this time that I'm also looking for new old crap to watch, honestly. Right. Um, and to reevaluate some. And it's just nice sometimes to have that moment, that moment when you're like, oh, this, is a, this qualifies. This qualifies as me celebrating the season. I'm not just, I'm not just denying the season and all the pain that can sometimes come along with Christmas bells ringling. Um, and it, yeah, and so I, I just kind of wanted to uh, talk about some of our faves, uh, some of our uh, uh, forgotten classics in there. Um, before we jump into this bit of a discussion, oh, because also one of the main reasons I immediately thought of you is, look, we're going to say it right away. Uh, and uh, probably one of the things that we don't need to say with the canon, uh, but uh, if we're getting into holiday action movies, uh, we're not getting around Mel Gibson. Uh, it is just what it is. Uh, we are talking about his work in Richard Donner films <laughs> and that are written by Shade Black, <laughs> mostly. Which also you could say there's a, there's a group of people, if you get on Wikipedia, that, that have worked in the, some of these films that we talked about that all have things that are questionable maybe, uh, or, or, and stuff like that. And that is not what we will be referring to today. We will be talking about the work they did. Yes, exactly. Uh, it is such a hard part of doing this type of work that we do uh, with the canon and in our viewing habits, where when you come to the recognition that most of the things that you want to watch are made by monsters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a hard one to swallow. but And uh, even in the work itself, too, especially with canon. And as we'll, you know, in, in some of the, the, the ones that we'll talk about today, there's like dated language and dated references uh, of, uh, and, and ways people refer to, to others and stuff like that, that doesn't fly as well. So I, I'll, I'll put out there, and I don't want to speak, I know you're the host of the show, but that is once again, not our preference or, or what we, we support and stuff like that when talking about these films, we're more talking about like the construction of the action and all that exactly as me and frank have half joked that like at the beginning of now with movies when they say like rated pg has smoking uh that should say like 80s racism but now i'm also wondering if like sometimes it should just say like uh violence smoking the 80s like it's just like it's just the entire generation what's kind of interesting is that like when they disney reissued the muppet show the kind of disclaimer you're talking about, they, they put on the top of those shows. Right, right. So I think all canon films need the Muppet Show disclaimer is what it basically boils down to. Basically. Uh, 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 representation of America. That's yeah. <laughs> what it just says. Yeah. Um, but before we, uh, just very quickly, because ne I've never gotten to do this uh, with you. Usually with canon, uh, canon we often say, like, we want to ask the guests, like, what was your relationship with both canon films and movies growing up? Like, I oh. know we, I, I know the people who consistently listen to this know they could fill in the blanks. John Murray watched a lot of stuff on WPIX eleven. Yeah, man. Because I, mean, I have talked about it with you, and I talked about it on this. 
Such a cornerstone, man. That station was just huge. Like it just, they like got, must have had a deal with the Globus Brothers to just get all those shows on, uh, just pump them on there. Yeah, that, it was like, I feel like, you know, growing up, you remember Jeff, it was WPIX, Channel 9 was WOR, and then uh, Fox was like WYNX or something like that. That one's kind of foggy. It wasn't Fox as much as it was like something WNY. We're Fox 61. Okay, we, we, we were Channel 5, and it was something else. Like, they, like Channel 5 for a while like had nothing. Like, the big thing is they, they broadcast the marathon. The, <laughs> the, so that was, like, the big thing. And the, and the afternoon movie. Yeah. So you were always, like, just when else there was nothing else to watch, you always would go there and uh, probably starting at the age of 11 catch some, like, shoddily edited rated R movie that yep. you were, like, way above your age range, but you'd be like, it's the only thing that's on, you yeah. know? yeah. And like even I remember Channel Five got in the swing of that one year where they got like um they got the Nightmare on Elm Streets and they oh. were like showing those edited and they had the fly yeah and I was keeping all these off TV yeah like that's something like no one has now where it's like the edited for TV movie to me like growing up was the equivalent of like it's just it's like opening night at the box office yeah like in a movie I wanted to see premiered edited so that i could see it because it was too young because it was rated r it was like it was the first best time movie. i saw christine i think was on abc sunday night movie yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and 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 i do think that i i it's like the thing where it's like i have not become a like vhs purist like yeah. those people like buying vhs and like i'm gonna only watch it on that but i get it like it's in this to me it's in the same way as like some of these movies when i watched uh, the unedited version after watching the edit version like a thousand times is like when there is like a remastered uh, album that I'm like, I listened to it on a dubbed cassette tape in my mom's Bronco that one of the speakers didn't work. Like yeah. I don't necessarily need it <laughs> like remastered and actually sounds weirder to me. And there are parts where, you know what it is? It's the equivalent of whatever, I think the Dr. Dre or Snoop song when it was like uh, rolling down the street smoking endo. Like yeah. When I first heard smoking endo, I was like, that's not right. Yeah, It's they, supposed yeah, exactly. to be smoking, smoking. Yeah, yeah, or that weird dip they used to do to make it go blank. Yeah, that was, yeah. Or so the, or yippee Kaye motherfucker go, jumping ahead, but in yeah. like sometimes like I'm like, no, it should be yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon, like they did for Die Hard 2. <laughs> So weird. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. Like when uh, I when my when my mom passed away, like I found all the VHS that I had recorded off the of TV, and like I hesitated throwing them out because not only do you get all these like great replug lines, all that kind of stuff like that, but then you also get all the television commercials, which are just they are just you talk about like a true representation of the time. Yeah, I. Well, one, uh, you're hopefully going to be visiting here uh, in the next year, and you will be excited to be in here because you'll see my VHS collection. That isn't that I bought them. It's just I finally unearthed them, and I'm like, I'm going to digitize these someday. Yeah. And my brother sent me two VCRs, which is like, see if one of these works. Right. And I can't remember what I was watching, but it had... I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but I am a man of exaggeration and hyperbole. Three different uh, commercials for video game systems that do not exist 
and Phil Hartman was in all of them. Great. <laughs> like Great. it would be like the, the, the Sega 32X. And like there was one where it was like Phil Hartman wearing like dressed as a woman and then a little boy. Like it's like right, right. all of this hidden gem. But that was it too. I have all these like commercials memorized. Like I think I've said on another podcast, the uh, Simpsons episode that is 22 short films about Springfield. That's supposed to be like 22 short films about Glenn Gould. I only, there's like, my buddy put it on a mixtape for me that I watched in college and it was always cutting off the first two minutes in the last five minutes. Right. So that's what I know. So when I watched it, I've only seen the full one, like all the way through once or twice, but I could list off every single word of the middle section of that because it has to cut in to go to headbangers ball or something. I mean, I honestly remember, I think I I like fast forwarded through some of the tapes where I got rid of them and like, uh, was like found the, Remember, like, Tori Amos was, like, in a, a Special K commercial or, like, a Kellogg's commercial? Remember that? <laughs> yes. yes. It was, like, that commercial, the one where Michael J. Fox gets trapped out of his apartment in the rain. Yeah. And he's got to, like, go back in, like, for Pepsi. Like, it was, like, all those classics. Those are, like, the big ones. But just even just, like, a regular Benadryl ad. Yeah. Uh, like, you're just, like, oh, like, you know. Um, if I go through these tapes and I stumble upon, like, an original commercial for Phantasm Two. Oh, like my head will explode. <laughs> Dude, TV movie commercials are the best. And that's where YouTube just keeps me alive. Because like, if I ever get sad and lonely, I just watch WPX uh, Shocktober uh, montages. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me feel like I can reminisce about my childhood. Yeah, you start sending them to me too. And then I'm like, I remember that. I remember this two-second section from Friday the 13th, part six, more than I remember the rest of the fucking Totally, movie. absolutely. Oh, yeah, they, they sold it so well. They Here's another it. question, too, with growing up. Did you have an illegal scrambler that you could no. buy in the back? Well, we did it? have a satellite dish. Oh, you did? We did. Wow. We That's moved impressive. into the house, and there was one already installed. And there was a there was a real some real salad days with, with satellite where... Basically, you had a satellite dish, you got every channel. Like, yeah. you got the, from the movie channel to HBO and everything in between. Yeah. And then not only did you get it on East Coast, uh, on the East Coast, you got West Coast too by just moving the dish. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. West we, Coast, uh, East Coast, you could catch it three hours later. Right. We, uh, I constantly, like, my wife is always asking me what is up with satellite dishes and how exactly they worked. And you had it. I mean, that's it, it died. Part. Yeah. And dude, here's the other great thing. The TV guide for it was called Orbit and it was like a Bible. It was a right. Bible, Jeff. Because they had to do both coasts. Yeah. I would sit and just read Orbit. I would just yeah. read it. Yeah. I mean, I poured over that shit. Like, I, w- I mean, I could imagine. I mean, that's the thing too. When you get really into like nerdery <laughs> like that shit and you realize that's all you care about. Like, that was like reading baseball stats. Yeah. You know? Like and like going through and then like being annoyed at Leonard Maltin's reviews and his book. <laughs> oh, dude, I I still have it downstairs. Like I don't know what year, might be ninety nine, but I read that all the time. Uh, I mean, when my he, wife met me. I was like always be pouring over his book, yelling at it. I can't believe he gave me. Texas Chainsaw a bomb or whatever. It is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Unless it was Disney, it was always getting a bomb. Oh, you um, know, Leonard. He's always about the cartoons. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we had an illegal scrambler from the back of Rolling Stone. Okay, uh, which was great because it's like it would, you know, uh, for uh, HBO. All of a sudden, we got all these channels. 
Also, though, on the side, it got Spice Channel, which was yeah, weird looped porn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that also, like, in retro, I remember it was like, oh, yeah, it's like they cut out all the hardcore stuff. I know. It was like very, I, weird loops. I eventually, imag- I finally got to see it. And I was like, oh, you got whatever. It unscrambled on our satellite. Yeah. Just found it. I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, something's missing here. This is very, <laughs> very strange. Well, I think especially if you are someone who watches a lot of movies. Yeah. And and it's not like you have to be an auteur of mo- a cinemaphile. Yeah. But you do start to be like, I, saw, I mean, I saw this shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two seconds ago. And it's just like of this guy's face. Like I remember yeah. him going like crack. Like yeah, right yeah, at the exactly. same exact moments. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into well, some holiday movies. Well, yeah, what were you going to say? I should tie the canon really quickly. Please. Since title of the show. I did see, Ma- which probably the majority of your guests have seen. I did see uh, Masters of the Universe in the theater. Yep. Um, I watched the the whole, uh, you know, the whole, as we talked about, catalog and WPIX. And then what did I do? Bam. Brooklyn Museum. Okay. Uh, no, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Brooklyn Academy of Music. They had a great retrospect about uh, Toby Hooper. Oh, so yeah. So I, I went, and, went and saw Life Force in the theater. And I went and saw, or maybe I didn't do Life Force because I own Life Force, which sure, is of course a whole other insane thing to admit to. Yes. But uh, I did see, I know I saw Invaders of, uh, from Mars in the theater. And that was the first time I sat through it all the way. Yeah. The thing with uh, admitting you own something yeah. is that you're admitting that you're like, I'm planning on at least, if I haven't already, watching this a bunch of times. Yeah. So it is like a thing. Like I remember when a friend of mine was like, I own 10 DVDs and one of them is Irreversible by Casper Noah. And it's just like, I want to hide that fact. Like, yeah, just- you might want to, yeah, you might want to sell that one. <laughs> I mean, I, is it, I guess I can, this place, I can admit these things, or maybe I shouldn't, but I've also read, <laughs> I've also read Space Vampires, the book that, uh, what you call it, uh, Life Force is based on. Yes, we had a, we still haven't done it. We always threaten a canon book club, but oh, we yeah. definitely had a couple of canon heads who read it and were basically like, this book sucks. <laughs> like, it just doesn't, it's really rough. <laughs> I don't know if you remember it being rough, but. Uh, I remember liking it. I remember being like, it's a good idea for a story. I can see why they made this into a movie. But I guess like, I'm just very sympathetic. I'm just like, okay. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, Again, going to our text thread, you've been having to deal with me talking about novelizations, <laughs> sending you texts about the once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, man! Novelization I mean, to me, to me, that's more of a slog. I'd rather like read someone's original creative idea instead of someone like completely changing the movie they, they, that I've already seen and writing like eight different versions of it. That sounds insane. It's wild. I couldn't fathom the thing. I just, again, I, as I said, I need to read up on why he made the choices to do what he did in it. Because sometimes yeah. I was like, this gives insight. And other times I'm like, did you realize we didn't need the whole Manson thing? But you also forgot to take out two chapters. Like, what exactly was the deal? This would have actually been a better movie if it just was about Rick and Cliff. Right, um, right. Uh, instead of some, again, your your revisionist history trilogy <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. he seems to love. Um, so, speaking of canon and holiday films, uh, so I, yeah, so I, I a couple, because I, I feel like we are, we, we should start with canon ones. Uh, so, I mean, for me, some big ones, because I'm also like looking at a list here to remind myself, because yeah. there are a bunch on here. Sometimes you go to these like BuzzFeed lists and like top 20 holiday movies, and you're like, this has nothing to do with the holidays. You just mean something to watch when I'm bored. Right. Uh, 
two big ones for canon people, Cobra and Invasion yeah. USA. Yeah. I mean, when Cobra is like, you know, maybe my favorite action film of all time and to see that it vaguely could be like Shane Black came in for one day and gave a little bit of a pass. <laughs> right. Well, what, remind me, I can't remember. I was looking at the list. I, I Googled stuff too. And I was wondering where is Cobra? Like is Christmas always in the background or is it one specific part? Because I can't even remember. So it's like, that's the thing. And I mean, I guess this is part of it too. We should talk about, we can get into it after we kind of go through this, but why is Christmas in action movies? And I think right. I know the reason. Yeah, I think, well, there's, I think there's two big reasons really. One has a person's name. And two is lazy set design. Um, Cobra, uh, at the beginning, when uh, the killer comes into the grocery store, yeah. there's a bunch of Christmas stuff playing and maybe jingles. Like, okay. there's like Christmas tree that the kid gets blown into right. after he says, you're lousy shot. I hate lousy shots. And after he drinks his Coors Light, <laughs> you might, you probably have, uh, one of the reasons I love Cobra, as I've said on the Cobra episode, probably the commentary is, uh, the two first times I watched it were one, my dad won a VCR that had a screen built into it. Oh shit! So it had a little tiny black and white screen the size of it, and he won it in like a sales thing. And to test it out, me and my brother put, watched Cobra on it, and it was like such a dumb watch. But I had first heard it from him it was like i watched it because i was sick on vacation and couldn't go see cobra and i still was like nine i shouldn't have been watching it yeah. my brother came back and described every single minute of that movie and it when i watched it, i was like lived up to a description the only time a description like it was like everything you said is ridiculous so the beginning stuff and then there's a uh toys r us commercial on for the holidays when he's cutting pizza with a scissor okay uh, there maybe is like some random, there's a tree here or there, <laughs> um, but there's not really much of Christmas skippy, besides that. Skippy. Yes. But it's in the same way to me as in theory, they could have brought it in because of uh, that. Oh my God, we're getting attacked during this time. This is a real attack on America. But yeah. Invasion USA is kind of the same deal, where like you kind of forget it's Christmas. Yeah, I just remember all the houses are decorated. All the and houses it, are decorated when they blow them up. Blow um, them up. Yes. That, uh, that, to me, is your second point of set decoration, because they're doing some of that at night. Yeah. So they're like, we need to be able to see these houses before we blow them up. So it's like, put, toss in some Christmas lights. 100%. When there's the mall attack, I think there's some Christmas shit up in there. Right. Other than that, I think nothing. I think, again, I bet you there was some idea of like, it's Christmas. I can't believe we're getting attacked then. Right. This will feel extra crazy. Right. Um, but at that point, you've already watched Billy Drago get a knife into his dick and get mm. thrown out the window. So, um, but uh, I mean, one, I just want to get your, like, what are your gut reactions on Cobra and Invasion? I know for Cobra, it's always like, Jeff, you like it too much. Chill out from everyone but <laughs> yeah i remember cobra came out I remember the ads i was like really it's one of those movies that like i think i saw too late like yeah. you know i had done so many other action films in that point and then i was like oh i finally get to see cobra and i watched it and i was like oh man this is kind of ridiculous and it's <laughs> yes. and i mean that's it feels weird to say about because i love ridiculous movies but i was just like i think i expected more of a grounded action movie which once again <laughs> yeah. all these all these are oxymorons all of these are just skaters. 
But but my mom, you know what? I my agree. Mom, the time when it came out, it should have been. Yeah. We've done enough action. Like, let's maybe get it grounded. And instead, it was like Stallone through Canon. And one of his biggest paydays is going to lead to nothing. And, then, and that's why I always recommend it to sketch students as a crazy person when I would teach sketch. Because I would be like, do you want to have a crazy character that's like simplistic but also blown out yeah. from the get-go? There you go. That's cool. Well, I think it was like him being like, I didn't get to do what I wanted on Beverly Hills Cop. I'm going to get to do it now. Yeah. And right. my, my mom, I remember talking to my mom about Cobra. This is like they had rented it and they, they always, they loved action films. I was like, Oh my, how was it? I, you know, I wanted it. And she was like, it was ridiculous. It's like, he has this crazy car in it. Like she was just like, like everything about it was just like, was not the, you know, you kind of looked at that poster like, Oh, he's like dirty Harry. Yeah. So like Stallone's dirty Harry. And instead it's almost like this, almost like a superhero hybrid film. Yes. He's, uh, a, he's on the zombie squad. Yeah. <laughs> What's the exactly. zombie squad? The bottom line or whatever dumb line they say, like, makes no sense. Yeah. And is also the one of the, might be, I mean, might be one of the number one that you're like, because it's a movie I root so much for, yeah. that when you're watching it, you're like, everything in this politically is wrong. <laughs> yeah. The reporter at the beginning who's like, this guy had rights. <laughs> right, right, right. Is yes. exactly the same as what's his name from Ghostbusters that has become like a cliche to even say, but like, no, the EPA is correct. EPA. The EPA is the bad guy in that movie, which is right. just hilarious. The EPA should be checking in on the Ghostbusters. Exactly. They are hardly scientists, yep. half of them. Yep. Like, I have to trust Egon, like, enough, but like, the reporter is asking about questions. He's like, what'd you do that to his dead kids? His family. And it's like, well, no, you're a shitty cop. Like, you shoot everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the first one that really is just like that's where it is cartoonish it's just like man how could i love this movie so much it's so against all of my belief systems over the top uh but But by the way i've also read read, over uh, the top (laughs) i've read yeah it is that movie forget it that movie i joked the other day with someone about the pitch meeting for that was like it's like rocky with with arm wrestling we can't go wrong (laughs) green light it green light it do you remember I brought it up before, but the Norm Macdonald sketch when Stallone is hosting SNL. So good. Ugh. Like, I mean, I mean, I get, I think Stallone was underrated host for the episode. I think he had some good sketches in that. Orange Julius. Orange Julius is like a classic. Uh, Should be top 10, 10 to 1 sketches, even if it wasn't a 10 to 1. Because that sketch is insane. (laughs) When at the end he goes, it's a dream come true. The best. Insane. But yeah, him point like Norm McDonald going like, no, no, I think that's a great movie. The tagline's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, over the top's great. But yeah, sorry, what were you gonna say? I might have cut I you. I was off gonna there. say also I've read the book that uh that Cobra's based on, which is, is fair what, game. also fair game. I think it's what like a, a sitting duck or a running duck. Yeah. So we we've talked about too, you and me off of the air, about how Stallone <laughs> He wanted to get his name on the book. <laughs> Stallone, the hub- I mean, this is one of the reasons my wife is always like, who do you like more, Stallone or Schwarzenegger? I'm like, oh, I love Schwarzenegger more, but like they do compete in hubris because their yeah. hubris is insane. Like the fact that he would be like, I changed this move, this book so much that you're going to get sales 
that yeah. you should put my name on a book I didn't write. It's, it's beautiful. It's insane. Yes. But that's and, what we love about it. And I have to say, like, honestly, I don't think even the book taps into it. It's a great concept. It's a cult chasing after a person. And Correct. some, like, like lone wolf has to kind of come in and save her. And I feel even with Fair Game and Cobra, like, to me, there's a real big horror aspect to that kind of concept. Yeah. Kind of like um, that movie with Warren Oates and, and Peter Fonda where they're getting chased in the Winnebago. Oh, uh, ride, ride with the devil. Ride with the devil, yes. It's kind of the same kind of concept, right? But yep. it just kind of is more uh, over the country because I think the cult has like a broader thing. And I feel like no, neither film tapped into that. They're like, this no. is bare bones action. There's nothing scary about this. I'm just like, <laughs> cults, man, are like, they sacrifice things. Like, they could be creepy. I mean, that being said, I have talked about before, my two biggest fears growing up were I had a bathroom I could look into from my bed and yeah. the door didn't close exactly for my bedroom. So I always had to let my eyes adjust yeah. to make sure that one, uh, Michael Myers wasn't in my uh, bathroom and that the night slasher from Cobra wasn't in there with that knife with the spikes. Yeah, yeah, fucking, and Girl, yet so. I am a person surrounded by Halloween merchandise and <laughs> still thinking about getting the Cobra tattoo uh, of the serial killer cult. I won't judge it. I, I, mean, I, I go for it. You would appreciate, you know, you would. Uh, so Invasion USA, is that one that you watched growing up at all? Invasion USA, like, for me, I'm, when it comes to Norris, I'm more uh, Braddock and uh, Missing Action films and Delta sure. Force, which yeah. uh, I remember watching Delta Force and WPIX and just being like, like, there's so much setup in that movie. Half that movie is like them get ready to go on the plane and like Lee Marvin just being like, yeah. And I re- really loving that. Invasion USA, I remember the main bad guy a lot and i just remember the- richard fuck what's his name uh he's in bad dreams as yes. well. so he's he's a burn victim, burn victim his story yeah, yeah, yeah. is insane yeah yes. he uh i remember him being in that i mean i remember the big scenes of him blown up him getting blown up and stuff like that but i don't really remember as much but my my friend ryan that's like his movie that's like his yeah. bread and butter he loves invasion usa I feel like as a holiday gift to yourself, I want you to like maybe go sit with Brian and and with Ryan. And I also want you to, I want you to rewatch the Missing in Action trilogy and Delta Force because we have done it for these. Yes. And although I do love them. Yes. When I say love them, I love parts of them because Delta Force is so long. It's It's a lot of setup. Because they're trying to be like realistic with this real story. I know. That's the crazy part. So when he is on a rocket motorcycle, it's insane. Yeah. Um, uh, that you're like, wait, what movie are we watching? And, uh, you know, the mission movies are both awesome. And yeah. uh, the way that they're out of order. and because I like they- how you and Frank, I think I listened to one where you were saying that, like, maybe one's just a fever dream that he had in his hotel room. Yeah, it's become, that a, yeah. That was a cool take. It's become a consistent, like we've realized in a fair amount of movies that especially Norris ones, there's like, we, we love Molasses 2 by 4, as we call him, but he does have a consistent PTSD theme gotcha. and an alcoholism theme. Like, yeah. I mean, Lone Wolf McQuaid, we just watched, which was a yeah. hidden gem for both of us. We were, were like, how have we not watched this movie a hundred times? It's great. I used to watch it a lot when I was a kid. It was one that missed both of us, and it seems like it should. The story should be. I watched it a lot as a kid. I feel like that's. You know what? This is gonna sound weird. It really make an East Coast reference. Sorry, everyone from the rest of the country. That might have been a Channel Nine. That might not have been a WPIX. That okay. might have been a WOR because they had movies every once in a while. And I feel like that's where you would catch Lone Wolf McQuaid. 
that would totally make sense to get that. And because it also would have been going to Cobra, maybe the first time I would have seen a nitro truck versus Cobra was like first time I really saw nitro in a car right, uh, right. as a big thing. But yeah, he, he's got alcoholism very strong in most of his movies. Wow. And uh, there is always a good argument to be made for a lot of these that it's like, this never happens like that. Right. You never left the room. And it, it's surprising how often it comes up. I think it's better, man. I kind of like that. I think so. Like, I do think it gives a a, a layer that isn't there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you kind of could hope there was a uh, subconscious move on like Jay Lee Thompson or whoever's directing at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Invasion is maybe just pure fun. And it has so much insanity in it. Uh, and, and, and it is nice to have like the beauty of this is like, I'm going to watch Invasion this holiday season. Um, I'm up to broaden my holiday action what? So I, I think that's let me take that on. the point of this, right? It's that yeah. we can have more options for us. I mean, so let's jump into, though, like the, uh, well, I think there are three, correct me if I'm wrong, and you tell me if I'm wrong. If, the, if I'm going the three big holiday action films, mm. what do you think the three are to me? I'd say you're going to go Lethal Weapon, you're going to go Die Hard, and your third... Third one's not exactly action, but... The third's not exactly that. Oh, are you, I don't know. Are you going <laughs> to jingle all the way? What are you, you going to say? I know. So, one, <laughs> is it because we texted about the other day? Not jingle all the way, although it might become a consistent, because if you have not watched Jingle All the Way, it does get included. It is a classic <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy. It is, like, I love Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've never got into Junior. I love twins. Oh, I think he's actually very good at comedy. And if he knows exactly what he's doing, Jingle right. All the Way is a psychotic horror film. Like, and, and everything is played so broad in it by everyone. And clearly the director was going for that. But when you let Arnie go broad, especially against Sinbad improvising, it is legitimately pure insanity and starts to get horrific at times like it's like the mugging on his face is nauseating <laughs> but it's kind of worth watching him going i you i'm your action i'm your rocket man and he's just like constantly like it, uh and 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 tom hank's wife i'm blanking on her name uh, rita wilson yeah rita wilson trying to be in love with this fucking <laughs> monster of a band and it also has a classic like throw in one line to explain why he has an austrian accent um uh no not jingle all the way uh rocky four. Oh, okay oh yes that does take place during the holidays you're right you're right, <laughs> it's you're right. A, so to me those all are right my- and we can say on the show r.i.p polly's robot we're oh. giving you cut r.i.p polly's robot are you gonna um, watch the director's cut for this I, I have not done it yet i'm gonna be frank with you i'm like i, I don't know if i can I it's if wild I can. if you and me are both questioning if we're going to watch the director's cut because like the way they sell the previews like unseen footage of him talking to his son and like being like i gotta do this fight and you're like i i have to be honest rocky four is not the movie i go for for that okay no i go for like the talking in one yeah the, the, especially because i if if it is his real is his real son in rocky four I don't, I think Sage is in five. Yes, I know he's definitely in five. Either way, that kid is like, he's whatever. He's a kid actor. He's not great. So it's like watching Rocky talk to him is like 
watching a actor struggle with a kid actor slash yeah. uh, the days when me and my son aren't getting along. <laughs> like, well, it's like watching that documentation. Like, I don't need to have more of him being like, hey, I'm going to be singing about yeah. you when I'm in my third training montage. Yeah. If he had said, I'm going to add one more training montage. I think we'd all be like, well, I have to go watch that. I mean, but Rocky Four is in there. But let's yeah. talk about the... Uh, we'll get to, but let, let's talk about the two big ones. So, what okay. Lethal Weapon is big for you, especially? It is. It is. That let's was like the doorway to action for me. That was like a family movie for me. That whole franchise. Yeah. Like, uh, I can remember my dad being like, "These are like when I grew up. It was westerns, and now it's cop shows and cop movies. And like, this is this is the new one." And he's like, "Your mother and I." We love this movie. Watch this movie with us. So we're constantly watching the edited version of that film together as a family. Two came out, three came out, just kept going. They were like, it was great, you know? I was going to say, because if you're watching the unedited version, that means your your dad was basically like, do me a favor. Sit down and watch some breasts with me in the first seed <laughs> no it was all the tv edits they the, my parents have were objectionable to the nudity in the film they were they like understandable the they were like yeah. this, they're like when, one time i remember i think three they were like this is going great because i was old enough i think by the time we watched three together watch the unedited version yeah. together and i think well someone's getting their mom my mom's like someone's gonna take off their clothes and ruin this but that doesn't happen in three <laughs> so everybody everybody had a good time yeah, the I, I just brought up on Predator 2, but it's also the fault of memory. In my mind, I remember watching Predator 2 for the first time only with my dad. And yeah. in my mind, it starts with the scene that's actually 22 minutes in of the Terry Wigel, I realized now, the porn star riding butt naked on top of a man yeah. before he gets gutted by the the certainly problematic yeah. Jamaican mob. Yeah, you're just always, you're kind of like, okay, this scene's long enough. Yeah, yeah. it's like, maybe I'll go find a way to look at the couch uh, for a long time. But so edit version makes sense. And it was a family movie for my family as well. Like we, yeah. I remember buying the, I think the VHS for my mom for a gift. Like yeah. I was like, here you go. But like, yeah. What does, does it speak to you as a holiday movie or as an all time or both? I, I think a little bit of both all time. And then, and as a holiday movie, cause I think I was thinking about this, you know, the arguments that, that uh, people make about Die Hard and, and stuff like that comparatively to what we just mentioned with Rocky four invasion USA and even Cobra, like, really to the, the holiday stuff is kind of incidental in that. Right. Like I feel like in the end, both stories are these kind of redemptive stories. Like if we're going to, with McLean, McLean gets back with his wife yep. and then uh, Riggs ends up finding a family to replace the loss of his wife. Right. And to me, both of those are kind of like what the holidays are about. So henceforth, I do believe that they fit under the parameters of Christmas movies. Now, I know for a fact, Bruce Willis has gone on record saying no. Mel Gibson's gone on record as saying no. But, like, what do they know? They're the artists who made it. Like, yes. you know? So it's like, for, for me, I feel like they, they do fit that. I feel like Shane Black's overall career, which we will kind of touch upon some of the other movies, I guess, but it fits under that parameters that he's kind of coming. He, I, he always is, like, saying he uses Christmas as a backdrop to make the, the bad things stand out more is his yeah. argument of, of using that. But um, I think in the end, they all are kind of really holiday movies because they are about characters finding redemption at a time when um, I think we, we all kind of need it the most. Yeah. You know, it's the, the point of the season. I truly have never thought of it in that way, and I love it. 
<laughs> like, I mean, like that is, that is your uh, PTSD theory. Like, it, it, you know what I mean? Like that adds this new, because it totally does make sense. And, yeah. and is also to me, a good example of something we always talk about is just like, uh, fuck your conscious filmmakers. I don't know what to tell you. Your subconscious clearly connected the dots. And I right. think that's partly, honestly, that comes from kind of the comedy training background we have yeah. of just like, it's pretty simple. Like this connecting the dots is like a simple thing. You're just not noticing it. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you don't notice it. You did it. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. And yes, if that's what the holidays are all about, like it's because... I mean, is that the reason Shane Black said it's just that it punctuates, it puts a, a spotlight on it being yeah, I, I, I read up on it. It's on his Wikipedia page. If, if everyone wants to go to check it out, he said in some interviews where he's like, yeah, he's like, there's a sense of one. It's he's like a couple of things, like a sense of stillness. It's like a, we all kind of shut down around the holidays. Yeah. So like we're like anything that's going to go on like that, like this kind of excitement is going to stand out against it. He's just like, it makes a good juxtaposition. He's like, like talks about, I can't get the direct quote right now, but like how even he finds like there's a certain magic in just the lighting and the sense of um, aesthetic that kind of comes from that season as well. That kind of goes nicely with that kind of action as well. So um, that's why he kind of sets it there. So that like, you know, it's, he's got like a good message, good lighting, good look, you know, and all kind of, kind of comes together. I mean, I do think, you know, even if he if he would dispute it, that is like him making an argument, especially that first half for the subconscious move. Yeah. Of that he is like, it's putting a spotlight and it's like the stillness allows for the hero quest character arc to come out even more. And it's like, well, yeah, why is there this stillness? What is happening? Are people reflecting on the end of the year? Yeah. Like, because you could say the same thing for New Year's to some extent, yeah. but he doesn't do New Year's. Now, granted, Shane Black, I, there are times where you're like, it's just your thing. You feel like yeah, you I mean, to shove I it I feel like things. it's just your thing. It pops up like the last Boy Scout is not based on the holiday, but but Santa Claus comes in there. That that starts to feel like it's just the thing. Even the, the nice guys was one night. I was like, I, we watched it last season and I was like, oh, this is a holiday movie. And then like halfway through, I was like, did I remember this wrong? And then it pops in for like two seconds. Just at the end, just yeah. at the end, right? Just at the end. <laughs> yeah. They're at the bar and it's at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like the ones that it's like where it really ties in is like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, which called, um, what's the other one? Uh, the, the Long Kiss Goodnight. Right. Lethal Weapon. Um, and then, what am I forgetting? Last Boy Scout. I feel like there's one floating. Uh, I don't want, not the Predators. Uh, and then I said, <laughs> All uh, of his pussy jokes in Predator are all Christmas-based. Uh, <laughs> exactly, right. Exactly. <laughs> I love to picture, I might have said this before on the Predator 2 one, I like to picture that Shade Black's like script sweetening on that was only the pussy jokes. He's like, 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 literally the only thing he I know I'm here to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think, though, like, I mean, we kind of touched upon it. That is why action movies, he says it as aesthetic. The other mm-hmm. side of the coin is to have an action movie set in Christmas time is when you've got a low budget. Yeah. It's an easy way to give uh, mise-en-scene, to give, like, a, yeah, like a, a, a sense of where we are. The in Invasion USA argument you're making right there just, just right. screams it, you know? It's right. just, like, especially, think about it, like, especially if you think about, like, the first Lethal Weapon, it's a very, like, it's shot very dark. 
it's yep. shot like watch watch a lot of the street scenes and stuff like that like so you, it's like christmas lights like to the dp had to be a blessing because yeah. he's like oh thank god you know i can do this so yeah instead of just having your streets be just spray down the street so the light reflects it's like good we can put up some lights here or there and that gives us some more to do so we can shoot at night and get these scenes to work etc etc and you know? cheap yeah like, yeah and cheap because lights are cheap and also like thinking in terms of canon like i love canon obviously i do a whole fucking podcast on it right. but like usually you're not like uh it's not like watching an argento film where you're yeah. like, oh, the DP is really gone. Like, it's like, right. you know, it's generally, they're pretty flat. Like, almost yeah. across the board, canon films, like, kind right. of look flat. Right. And even, like, having the Christmas lights gives it a pop. Like, right. beyond the technical of what you're saying, which I agree with, it's just like, yeah, it fills in light. Like, we can move it up an F-stop, like, right. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it is just, like, it gives it a little bit more pop than the odd flatness that can sometimes come across in, like, middle of the road action yeah. films where you're like okay maybe we could get a little bit more color in here like maybe not saturate everything yeah uh and i i understand it's because it's like you can't pay for technical you can't pay for the processing right, um, right. uh but i do think like i it it i don't know it does make it it does make it pop but also makes it it's a it, it's also to me maybe that it's on a lower level but the argument that goes for like halloween where it is like why it was such an amazing idea from yoblins the producer was just like yeah it's halloween we build in that some people are going to watch it every fucking yeah. halloween like yeah. whether they kind of want to or not like at least there's a thought of like i'm sure at that point it was like yeah we can re-put it in the theaters yeah time. but it does give like I, I it's not that i don't watch lethal weapon or Die Hard throughout the year, but I also know I'm probably going to watch it on Christmas Eve, like oh, man, Die Hard I mean, with my wife. Yeah, for me, like every December, I'm already starting to figure out. You know, we're about two two days away from the start of the month. I'm being like, well, what what Shane Black movies are am I going to watch this year? Because I think last year, I know I, I always watch Lethal Weapon yeah. each year around when my tree goes up. Um, but like, well, I know I watched like The Long Kiss Goodnight. Last year, I'm like, oh, I didn't do Iron Man 3 last year. Maybe I'll do that this year, uh, which, once again, it's pretty strong Christmas theme that ties into the story. Um, so, like, I'm like, that's kind of uh, – is that on the on the docket uh, this year? You know, and I'm like, I know I watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but I, I kind of love that movie while I watch that again this year. I'm always <laughs> figuring it out. Oh, and I didn't watch the original Die Hard. I watched Die Hard 2 last year. Do I watch the original Die Hard this year? Like, I'm always – really trying to figure out how to get those in the mix as it gets to the end of the year. So yeah, it is like a, like an annual thing, like you well, said. Cause, well, Cause also like every October you hear everyone doing like, I'm doing 31 days of scary yeah. or something, but no one really goes nuts on that. Cause there's also not as many, right? Like, cause you have to then get into that specific subgenre of it's not only an action movie and hopefully from the eighties, early nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. but also will have a Christmas related theme. Well, um, again, it kind of gets like off of the ones we're talking about, it gets a little bit of a drought. Cause like, then you're like, what's one that's like really upfront. It's like reindeer games. <laughs> right. Which and I'm you're not like, sure I've ever actually watched. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's I, overly complicated is how I remember watching that movie. I got to the end of that movie and be like, they just uh, need a little too much there. But like, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm left with like, I think Frankenheimer directed that. I'm like, I'm left with this and it's not as fun. Well, I think that's why also, 
both of us, like even the other day, like, you know, we're in the mode of like my kid, we've talked about like my kid doesn't really even watch that many movies. Right. And we're trying to figure out what are some holiday movies. And my wife was like, the Christmas Chronicles. (laughs) And I was like, maybe I hardly remember it. But I also kind of remember you and me and uh, like being like, oh, do you watch Christmas Chronicles yet? And I do think it's because there's a little bit of a thirst for Oh yeah, there's only so many shade black movies we've got. Yeah, you need some more like Chris. Like, yeah, if you got a, a listener who's a studio executive right now, because I know that's this is what they're plugged into. Exactly. I'm gonna say right Thank now, you. green light more Christmas action films. I'd be there. Yes. I'll be there front and center, man, for yeah, sure. Because I didn't really want to watch the Christmas Chronicles if it didn't have Kurt Russell, but it did. But it did, and so I immediately was just like, "Gotta watch my boy." Exactly. <laughs> that first one's so good, man. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the thing is it i don't think so. from what it's, i remember it's good man i'll even give him the, the jamming out with the disciples of soul in the jail <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you right now that is a that is a goddamn entertaining christmas film and everyone should check it out i mean i also do think that like even though you kind of still stuck to your guns it's like that that is also the kind of description of where it's just like and a lot of times how maybe even both of us sometimes talk about movies is like no, that movie is so good. And I go, really? And you go, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's like immediately a pullback. I'm like, wait a second. Maybe I, I went a little crazy. It change. Uh, it's really good too. It's very entertaining. That There is there was a little bit of a, a linguistic kind <laughs> yes. of uh, shift. I, I sense that. I mean, that's also a canon. Uh, that is a canon consistent, but also the types of movies both of us like is like reading the room. Yes. Like, and it, when it's just like, like, again, when I constantly recommended Cobra and then I'll be like, who exactly am I talking to? <laughs> like, I have to be like, well, it's going to be fun. It's well, fun. you might think it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the big one is, I mean, Lethal Weapon. I, I think like Shane Black is kind of the master of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Lethal Weapon is, Lethal Weapon is also it's such a fun one to watch now when you've watched so many and you're constantly like, did the trope start here or did the trope, it's a real chicken in the egg movie. You know what I, I mean? Have a, I, have a, I, I have a thing that maybe it's tossing that and, and hopefully maybe some people agree. I, I think that basically what the first lethal weapon did besides all the Christmas stuff we talked about is just refined the formula from what 48 hours did originally. Yeah. And I think that one of the things with 48 hours is I watched 48 hours with someone and they were like, this is a good movie, but it's like everyone in it's unlikable. Um, they're like, they're like, even like Nolte's character, like it's hard. Like you eventually end up rooting for the, uh, you know, uh, Murphy and Nolte because they come this, this duo and stuff like that. But like, there's a lot like they have to get through. Like, I mean, talk about like racism, like Nolte's character is blatantly racist. Yes. In that film. And it's like, so you're just kind of like, Oh man, they're almost as bad as the bad guys. And I think that's something what Walter Hill was kind of going for intentionally sure. on that. It's like, this is like a world of gruff men, stuff like that. Where I think that in Lethal Weapon, they like wisely were like, here are, are two like in the film, here are two like good people, mm-hmm. like, you know, or like, like these kind of, you know, just doing their job. And that gives you this basis. And I think that's why everyone locked into it. Yeah. And it, another thing I, I kind of talk about is that, or want to mention is that I think what works with Lethal Weapon too is like, and I think Shane Black learned a lot from that experience as he went on. You got to remember, it's like Donner had a lot to say in that. He was a producer and a director. Right. And he changed things. He softened things in that film. And then you got Jeffrey Boehm doing uncredited rewrites 
in that as well to add more humor. So I think like the there those three points of view kind of made it this kind of thing that everyone could get into. Yeah. And I think that's why two is effective because once again, all three of them are evolved, involved. And that's why three and four, in my opinion, aren't as strong because like it's just Boehm and Donner. Four is just Donner, you know? Right. It's like you're losing kind of, and even, even, even though Donner is always near the end of his life, RIP, diminished Silver's contribution. Like Silver's films were at the time like this commodity and had these certain kind of tropes to them that he was also bringing to the table. And like through that collaboration, you were like the first two, especially you were getting these kind of like super strong films as like super kind of point of view. You need the other elements of these viewpoints to kind of heighten the other. And combined with that three and four then starts to become uh, a cliche of itself to some extent. Well, and also sentimental. And that's Donner. You know, Donner Donner, like uh, is very sentimental. And, you know, you can see that even in Superman. Yeah, he's got like a, sen- a sense of that to him, which is effective. But like, if it's all that, it's not as good, right? And and Shane Black's original concept for one was just so noir. Like Riggs's introduction, and these are all on YouTube. That's like the bar fight. Have you seen that scene where he I goes? I don't think so. He goes to a bar, and these guys try to hit him up for money. He beats the crap out of these guys at a bar and takes a bottle. And the bartender's like, "Don't come here anymore." Wow. And like, so, and like Donner was like, oh, that's too harsh. Let's just do the thing where he walks around naked in the trailer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It'll be a softer introduction. <laughs> and then um, Shane Black's original ending, and you can tell the way Donner shot it, he wasn't going to use it. They just, they like go through this whole adventure and Riggs, re- Riggs leaves town. And wow. Murtaugh's just going to go back and work by himself again. Yeah, so, you may- Wait, is the first introduction of him butt naked in his thing? Uh, or is no, it? That's, oh, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think that's pre, yeah, that's after uh, she's a goddamn heartbreaker. His daughter leaves and then it cuts to him in the okay. trailer. And then we go Just to Just because we always talk about that, of like, you know, that it, it, when a movie misses out on an introduction, you kind of get worried. Like, yeah. uh, but that actually has like, almost like, if you're having a big action movie, you need to have a big, like, it's like Commando. When yeah. fucking Schwarzenegger's introduced, he's like holding a tree surrounded by smoke. Like, and then sometimes it's just like a fart. Like, it'll just be like Molasses 2 by 4 just walks on screen. You're just like, oh, I guess Chuck Norris is in this movie. But that one actually has like, Lethal Weapon kind of has two intros. Yeah. In a weird way, because you also have his introduction to Danny Glover's character, yeah. uh, uh, which is, they're, they're both like kind of, you need that introduction to give you like, here are the broad points. Right. of who these people are. Yeah. Um, it is also interesting. Like I keep thinking about Lethal Weapon a lot recently because we just did watch Predator 2 and it's like one of the problems of Predator 2 is you have Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon in your head. Yeah. So when you're like, here's him, he's supposed to not only replace Schwarzenegger, he's also supposed to be like the number one badass cop in LA. Yeah. And you're like, we already know he's too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like immediately yeah. he's starting at a deficit and that's not his problem. That's no. like them not considering the yeah. cultural climate of what we now know him as. In yeah, that he, was so, he was so effective as Murtaugh that it carries through. If in two, it's all about he's got gray in his beard, he's got to shave it off, or is that one? Uh, that's his one. birthday. Yes. That's, one. that's the other part of like one in two. Well, two questions. I have a, a question and a statement. If I remember correctly, does two have Christmas in it as well or no? No, it doesn't. Okay. No. Why I ask is because one and two are really like a unit. 
Like they, they merge. Yeah. Like I always, I remember texting you being like, wait, the bomb scene on the Dude. toilet isn't in one. Like yeah. in my mind it is. Cause they just merge. And I think it's why you're saying, because three becomes such a tone lean into it. It's not even a shift. It's just like, yeah. it's like, it's like when you hear a band put out a, like a new record, it's not that it's bad. You're just like, maybe the things I liked about it are the things you hear different. You know what I yeah, mean? Well, like, like I'm not the wrong aspects. If you think about three, it's bone by himself. And like, it's very episodic. Like there's really no case to it. Like they, like one and two, you got the story in two by Warren Murphy and Shane Black. And like Warren Murphy did the Remo Williams books. And so you have... <laughs> That's right. John has read them. <laughs> oh, man. You can't go wrong. The adventure begins right here. Uh, so, you know, with that, it's like, there's like, they're coming from this noir kind of things with all these. Because like Shane Black, he makes these action movies, but they're really like, he's like gussied up, dressed up noir stories. Yes. So both one and two have like an actual case where they have to do some detecting. At whatever it is. Which now, I think I'm also realizing my, like, I came late to it. Like, I think there was a period where I was like, I didn't watch anything. I was like, this is 90, like mid nineties, early nineties action. And so like kiss, kiss, bang, bang in my mind is like him leaning too hard into the like self-aware noir. Right. And I, and and I, you know, I can't stand self-aware just in general, but that is the thing of like, Oh yeah, maybe Donner pulled back. The, I think he pulled out, like, you know, I don't think, like, Shane Black was smart enough not to be like, we're just going to do, like, gumshoe style. I think he still kind of wrote these action movies, but he was like, that's always my basis. He's like, my yeah. influence is this. And I think Donner was like, nah, who needs that? He's like, Mel and Danny are the show. And yeah. It's like, we can have Mel and Danny do anything. That's going to drive it forth and stuff like that. And, like, I mean, I think Lethal Weapon 3 might have grossed, maybe grossed the most. I think, it, I, didn't, I, I could be misquoting that, but it wouldn't. It's hugely successful for them, but it, it, as what we're saying, like that new record thing, it just wasn't, didn't play as well as it did before. Yeah. I think also just thinking of Shane, I'm like trying to think of what, like, I know I, I, I'm pretty sure I like the nice guys more than you. I like, uh, no, I like the nice guys. I, I like it a lot. I think it's I love really, the nice guys. I think it's great. I don't know. I don't, I love, I pretty much love that all of that guy's work i look forward to to what he's going to do i i don't you know i think that i mean like it's also he his like i i don't follow him on twitter but i check his twitter every once in a while he always is like suggesting books and stuff like that i always appreciate that and i'm like oh that's cool and stuff like that i like where his point of view comes from in in that genre um i don't know if it always like like let's say the the predator i don't know if that really worked or yeah. really spoke to me you know what i'm saying uh as much as like the night i'd love to see more films like the nice guys but at the same token how many buddy detective stories does one artist want to keep putting out into the world it's so hard i mean we we've talked about again on the predator one that like one of the problems with just predator as in general is like even shane black can't necessarily save it is like the first one to me is like kind of so perfect for what oh, yeah. it is yeah and that it's also an example of a property that is only a property because they kept making like, oh, this happened, so now we have to solve it, and now it's part of a mythology we never yeah. planned on. Yeah. And it's kind of eating itself. So it's like, you know, so it's like, oh, no, this uh, machine he has does this, and actually, <laughs> this is how their whole culture works on the planet. And, right. and, and it's hard. You're, 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 you're kind of pushing a rock up a hill to get yeah. any of that to work past that beginning one where you're like 
yeah, they're basically there's an alien. They hunt you, and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Like, those are the base, and then you've got some fucking balls to the wall action dialogue. Yeah. And Jesse the body being ridiculous. Everyone's ridiculous in the best way possible. And Shane Black has a lot of pussy jokes. Um, and I agree with going back to the nice guys. There, like I guess, like I was like even trying to think in like as a both at Hollywood, but why it works so well for me. And it's almost like I mean, I do like that it didn't do as well as people expected. So that's always yeah. I like root for that under. I'm all of a sudden I'm like, ooh, it's a hidden gem. Well, that's that's because of the um, Iron Man 3's box office. You know, right. they, they thought that, like, he was going to just start, uh, you know, plowing out blockbusters. And he's like, no, these these are the kind of movies I make, you know? I guess, like, Nice Guys works for me, especially because it's, like, as opposed to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang of, like, maybe feeling too self-aware mm-hmm. comedy, it was just, like, it felt like the closest we had had in a while since... And granted, not having the Donner there, but like the kind of funny comedy and just it's a action movie that works. Yeah. Um, combined with honestly, like a little bit of the like the fun parts of like a Boogie Nights, like early PT, like glomming onto like, remember this part of the 70s? But yeah. it's not like nostalgia is kind yeah. of like uh, weighing you down. Much like I think like, again, like self-awareness of noir can kind of weigh down something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to right. me. Um, and uh, I also think just Ryan Gosling is a untapped comedic. He's a powerhouse movie. It's yeah. great. No, there, I, I, there's like such great set pieces. The falling off the building, him making the pool. I think I think it's a Keith David character. He doesn't make the pool. Yes. Like you know all that kind of stuff. Like that. There's good bits. Like that whole last 15 minute action sequence is great and crashing through stuff. And I think that's him as a director. I always thought was really good. And that started at the end of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That that right. shot on the freeway with the coffin, mm-hmm. that whole setup is like Chaplin-esque and they nail it. Right. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. Um, also, probably listeners are aware when you watch that, it's the same freeway spot that Mel Gibson jumps down to get Mr. Joshua's car. He That's has like a like, Shane Black thing. That's like, he yeah, it's that like, freeway. like, you know, those kind of weird uh, Shane Black-like isms, like, like almost like Tarantino with the, the cigarettes and, and his certain things that he hangs on Red to. Red Apple, man. Yeah. Shut up about him in that novelization. <laughs> remember it's remember when you were younger and you're like i saw reservoir dogs it blew my mind and then you're like oh my god they bring back red apple and pulp fiction how cool is this and then maybe it's in true romance you're like oh that's cool and then at a certain point you're like oh boy like maybe we don't care about this mythos as much as you do um that's how it felt like when they kept bringing it back in the fucking book um i just go back to your point about tropes and lethal weapon I think that there, it's a little bit of like, it does start with Luther Weapon in some sense. You don't get Gary Busey in Predator uh, 2 or in Under Siege without him being in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. But I think that does kind of carry through. There's a through line in just how successful that film was. I think yeah. Donner in the commentary talks about they, 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 they screened it and like he turned, like someone was like, oh, when did, maybe someone who was watching with the mask, like, when did you know you're going to have a sequel? He's like, the night we, we screened it. He's like, the execs just turned to us right away and they're like, go make another one. Go make another one. Wow. And I think so it definitely um, kind of set it to go. Like I said, I, it wouldn't really be there without 48 hours. I think 48 hours sure. did set a template. Um, and the casting of, of Glover, uh, you know, as the kind of um, family man and stuff like that was, was, you know, a great dynamic that 
uh, like even Donner had talked about like how he didn't envision it that way and how the casting director like opened his eyes and stuff like that. There's just yeah. some great stuff there too. Um, so yeah, I think it did have a pretty big impact. It, it certainly, uh, I think speaking again, a big impact, I mean, Die Hard. Gotta yeah. talk about Die Hard a bit. I mean, because yeah. it's it is maybe to me one of the furthest from a could have been a canon. Like, there's no other yeah. way for me to talk about it unless we, me and Frank, completely are just like fuck our yeah. concept. Uh, I mean, I uh, you know, I I I get tired of people are like eh, it's corny to talk about it as a holiday movie, and I get tired of people talking about how it can be a holiday movie, but. It is because we want an excuse to be able to watch it at least once a year. <laughs> because it's such a well-crafted movie, you know? Yeah. Um, that, you know, we, we watched, uh, I know you and I both watched the latest season of the movies that made us, but the yeah. one about Die Hard is, is great just because you get to hear McTiernan talk a lot. Yeah. And yeah. His, his point of view on all that. Um, and even what Jeb Stewart and Steve D'Souza, who, who co-wrote that, mm-hmm. um, some of their, their things are interesting. But once again, Shane Black influence where... That title was the original title for The Last Boy Scout, and Silver plucked that and was like, that's going to be the title for this, you know? Crazy. Yeah, crazy. Uh, and I, then it just... And you've read the, the book, right? Uh, yes. Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah, I read yes. that. Roger Still have Thor, not read it. The sequel to The Detective. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's, very, it's very different, but the yeah. concept there, I mean, what, what can he say? I mean, like, I, I hold, I mean, like, Lethal Weapon's like a personal favorite, but like, I hold Die Hard in, in like equal esteem in the sense of how it's put together. Like, you can see why afterwards it was just those pitch meetings of like Die Hard on this, because yeah. like, it's just, it's like, like, I don't, under, like, it could have, should have won some kind of award for just structure alone. Well, that is the thing. That's why, again, also would never be a could have been a canon. It's because like, what, are you going to sit there for an hour and a half, two hours, just be like, what a great movie. But yeah, there is those bits of kind of goes in a conversation we have had before that I think I stole from maybe a concept Paul Rust was talking about in his podcast where he was like talking about like one of the faults. And if it wasn't him, then I attribute it. I'd like to attribute it to whoever said it before me because I was like, you're smarter than I am. But when you're in film school and you do like independent film, what they should be showing you is like horror movies yeah. and like low budget action, because it's like, not only is that really true independent film, but like, that's what you're going to be making. Yeah. Um, and same with like, if it, it, depending maybe even on what class it is, if we haven't moved from talking about Robert town script for Chinatown, <laughs> And replaced it sometimes, at least with a counter of just like Die Hard. Yeah. I think we should now. And yeah. like, just because, as you said, at the very least, it's just like, just structurally, just really is like satisfying. I think that's yeah, but- why it's why it works. Like, yeah. it's like the water theme of Robert Towns' tight script is what everyone gloms onto. But yeah. you forget, and much like with horror movies and exploitation films and independent, it's the satisfyingness of those movies versus like really do i need to watch a jim jarmusch movie and like i'll be the i'm not going to be the one out of 10 people who can get funding to make those types of movies or like cassavetes etc um but it's just like a satisfying structure yeah like you can't like I, i i i'm I don't know. That's like one of those, like uh, your personality might be so different or you're just being, you know, uh, uh, negative on purpose. If you're like, nah, Die Hard doesn't work. 
And you're just like, like okay, wild yeah. state. You're just being contradictory. Like, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because it is just like, it's what you said. It's the it's the movie that launched a billion pitches. Yeah. It's all, because it is it, just it, such a, like, a log weapon. line could not be a better log line. I mean, you put it in comparison, Jeff, of like what you said about Lethal Weapon. Like, Lethal Weapon influenced like a lot of like tropes or, or however we want it, like, you know, kind of like casting or, or like themes, like kind of things. But like, yeah, like Die Hard, like you said, like turn, like changed log lines. Like, you know, it, it's just has like this kind of like, um, uh, almost like more of a, a detrimental impact in a way. Yeah. I, and combined with also like, it's just, you know what? It's not just that it's got Bruce Willis. It's got Bruce Willis exactly at that time. Oh, perfect. Because, perfect. you know, like it's like the perfect amount of charm, the perfect amount of every man and the perfect amount of comedy and the perfect yeah. amount to like to bring out everything that kind of works in there. Uh, uh, combined with a nice little Christmas theme in there. Like, and so it's just like, and I, again, to steal from Paul Rustigate, like it's such a, that's one of the things you're looking for in a holiday action film is just like the coziness of it. Yeah. Like it really is just cozy to watch it. Think about in the back uh, top of our conversation of like, where it's like, what happens if Die Hard wasn't set at the holidays? It'd still be like an effective movie. It'd still be about this redemptive thing of this guy reconnecting with his wife, going back to his family, learning how to be a more understanding man and accept his wife's new role in the family, accept blah, blah, blah. But like, you just be like, okay, what makes it effective in, in my mind's eye, at least, is that we know that they're getting in the limit at the end of that movie to go and like celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Like he's going home to his kids. There's going to be presents. Like it's like, it gives you um, like uh, uh, an after uh, like picture in your own mind of what's going to happen after this. Right. And and I do think we joked about it somewhat before, but like, I do think the uh, Christmas theme also is like, that it's uh, the holidays. So you have the yeah. threat of New Year's. Yeah. And depending on how you look at New Year's, I know my version of New Year's that I still work on in therapy sometimes is just like, it is a report card of the year. Yeah. It is also a time where you're like, let me reevaluate. Yeah. Let me try my best. This is the end of the year. I'm going to re uh, get with my wife. I'm going to maybe not be the estranged dad to, to McQueen, where's the Um <laughs> And you st- and the nice part about Die Hard, and which is also one of the reasons I don't love Die Hard too, but weirdly, Die Hard with a Vengeance just has like a soft spot in my heart. But like, right. it's also a much like the Terminator franchise. It's a franchise that by making more of them, you destroy the hope that is given yeah. to you in the first one. Because by the time you get to like live free or die hard, you're like, okay, so that cute little girl we saw at the beginning has grown up to despise you. Yeah, uh, there's so much where you're like, this is crazy. Your wife has like divorced injured. you four times over. <laughs> yeah. uh, you weren't redemptive. The hope of redemption that you're talking about that is built yeah. into these action films is no longer there because we see that the yeah. minute the holidays were over, the lie was over. And yeah. you're like, I'm going to go back to New York. I'm going to be a shitty fucking cop. I got a caseload fucking six months wide, like whatever he says. And you're like, oh God, now I just feel depressed. Much like Terminator where you're like, yeah. all right, at least Terminator 2, we still have hope. And then I can't remember which one where eventually they're just like, maybe the one with Claire Danes, where they're just like, no, nothing you do is going to happen. Skynet will always happen. Now it's we just inevitable. have to deal it's with inevitable, it. Yeah. And it is like, honestly, it becomes like a uh, the version of 
when uh before you know jerks held on to it but the idea of like oh we'll just uh the pandemic will just be like a quick couple month thing (laughs) and then it just became like no no you just gotta have to deal with like and it's gotta you know things aren't gonna work out how you planned (laughs) but like it's just like when you destroy that hope then you really have to do extra work to just be like i'm just holding on to one i'm just holding on to die hard that's the hope of one i know what's gonna happen uh the terminator one and two are kind of pointless now (laughs) like but um but because that is also what we're going for you want a little bit of hope as in real life yeah and they're thinking about all this stuff that happen at least for me around the holidays and then the yeah. new years i'm gonna be like how old am i yeah. what the fuck is my career become oh fuck and that that's why also so like jig all the way becomes more horrific because you're like now i'm in this is the only way to have this holiday spirit is to have this fucking crazy cartoon where people are borderline dying and killing each other right. and, and and you know even like a rocky four I mentioned four has some hope. Like it's, yeah, totally, absolutely. And then five, they they take that, they pull the rug right out from you on that one. They remember he's going to die. Adrian's dead now. Everyone dies. We'll die. <laughs> I mean, like two is a uh, dire two is almost kind of a commentary on like uh, holiday travel. Like even McLean's <laughs> car getting towed at the airport. It's just like man, it sucks to travel. Merry Christmas. And, but I have a softer yeah. spot for two than I do for three. I don't know. There is two's got miserable sequelitis where they basically do the same thing and just change the beats a little bit, similar to like Ghostbusters two, which also yeah. takes place at Christmas. Three, three works for me because of nostalgia of watching in the theater and really mm. being like, oh, this is more fun than I thought it would be, and trying yeah. to figure out that water problem. Oh yeah, we got back to my drummer's house and getting out. Yeah, but also. Three works because it is separate from Die Hard almost so much. Yes. Like that's one that's like, if you just changed it, you almost, it's not John McClane at this point. It doesn't matter. Well, it's not Even surprising. the connection of the brother almost doesn't matter. Exactly. It's not surprising that you're feeling that because it was originally a Lethal Weapon script that they got there you go. turned around and then they gave to McClane. It hardly feels like a Die Hard movie. Instead, it was just like, hey, we've got a fun action movie. You wanted a fun action movie at this point in your life. And you have enough of the memory of how much you love John McClane, even though Die Hard 2, Little Jeff, made you upset because it really was just a rehash, but a worse version. And now you're like, maybe marriages don't last. Um, Like, it's just like, the theme of Die Hard is Christmas can't solve divorce, (laughs) (laughs) which is a theme of my holidays uh, growing up. But um, uh, yeah, I just think like, I do think what we've kind of stumbled upon here is just like, it's the hope. That's what happens the, the most. And it's not just... Because like I'm like looking at the list and it's like yeah 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 Batman Returns some, some people yeah. make some argument uh, uh, again on with Gorley and Russ they're gonna watch like Christmas horror movies so like I love Silent Night Deadly Night but then they're gonna watch Eyes Wide Shut and I'm like oh yeah I guess that kind of yeah, works. It's knowledge. you're right um, and is a horror movie uh, uh, but it's like that's why there's also it's why we're starving so much for the Christmas Chronicles I think one because we have children yeah. And uh, we're trying desperately to, at least for me, not watch garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I am, I as I delve for the first time in my life into Disney movies, I still, at best, am indifferent to slightly amused is my hope for a Disney movie. Right. Uh, it has no bearing on my life after I watch it. All I'm thinking about truly, as I've had this conversation the past couple weeks, is like, 
could we watch Rocky? Could I watch Rocky four with him yet? He's four and a half, but he keeps asking, when can we watch Rocky? Uh, and I'm like, is there, maybe if I fast forward through most of the boxing, he's watched all the training montages. <laughs> maybe the director's cut would be perfect. Cause, uh, Polly won't be fucking that robot. <laughs> I just, yeah. Just him talking to his son all the time. <laughs> and then I'm going to have the weight of being like, I have to have longer conversations with him <laughs> in his bedroom at night. I'm going to be like Stallone and talk to my son. Yeah, you're going to put out a cable knit sweater. And just, just oh, talk to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you take my, it all the way. Cool. Am I remembering wrong that he has a broken down like Maserati in like five or something he has to sell? Or did, am I making that up? There should be. Now I'm also like, it's not an action movie, but I also had a moment of like, does the movie Rockstar end up in Christmas at any point? Could I make that a weird holiday movie? Who knows? I saw that in the theater. All I can remember is Mark Wahlberg driving down the hallway in a motorcycle. And then starting grunge. Yes, we have talked about him starting Grudge. It's the greatest end ever. He moves to a coffee shop. He essentially lives in a coffee shop in Seattle and starts so Grudge with Timothy Oliphant. Um, that movie, I have watched more than most movies. I am amazed how often I watch that movie. And the entire time, I'm like, I don't watch movies ironically. And is this one the only movie I watch semi-ironically? But it's like watching... Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip like four times where I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> watching this again? I don't know. Now I am also thinking back of like, maybe, maybe need to see if there is a Shane Black-isms uh, uh, like video, much like the Sorkin-isms video. The oh, there might be. There that is a Sorkin Sorkin Someone did one a while wild. back. Someone did a while back where they, they broke down his themes and recurring kind of things. There's, there's like one of those kind of serious, we all know them on the internet, kind of ones where it's like, hi, I'm about right. to talk about Shane Black films. Yes. And it's like Ugh. perfectly edited, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, he always sits at Christmas. And here's my reasons why I think why, you know, I'm going from there. This is four um, hours long. Why I think also, because I also want to be uh, cognizant of your time. Yes. Uh, uh, I want to go back just briefly before we kind of start to kind of wrap this up. But like, why maybe Shane Black, just thinking actually in terms of Sorkin, isms is like he's a writer who has uh he's got his isms he's got his repeating things but i think you've touched upon why he is so interesting and why he also works for action films is and maybe it's when he has other people kind of help it but he does have a humanity that we don't necessarily need but it we it's it's the it's the it's the hero we didn't realize we needed. Yeah, <laughs> he's our Batman. Um, and they, but like versus like because I was talking about it recently about Sorkin, where like he's such an enigma to me as a writer. Where I'll be like, how do I really like this one thing? Think this other thing is like complete garbage, but I'm enamored with it. And then he's like the worst writer that's ever existed. And part of it is like I think he's just a sociopath. Right. Um, versus. Shane Black, Shane Black could be the guy from Overboard, or not Overboard. Uh, what's the movie about the Boondock Saints director? Oh yeah, with that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. That's sociopath. Anyway. Like he could be that guy, but weirdly, he just has a heart. Well, yeah, that I think- does come through, and sometimes he needs other people to guide him. But like, okay. and 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 also is doing this under the guise of having. A person we have found out is a monster, Mel Gibson. Yeah. Who still, you're like, 
you know, I did that speech right at the beginning, which I love so much, but it is like a pretty intense, like it's not as intense as the first blood monologue yeah. uh, that uh, uh, John Rambo gives at the end of like, oh, sort of, but it's a pretty intense, heartfelt fucking yeah. piece. Yes. I mean, like even the, the thing that he does with the humanity, Jeff, and what you're kind of talking about is if you look at all his films, it's always about redemption, right? If you look at, think about in the one we talked the least about, which is like also very heavily Christmas, and we should kind of, I would want to mention with my remaining time is, uh, you know, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Think about it in the sense of like, Samuel L. Jackson's character is this like downbeat detective that's separated from his kid and that his ex-wife won't give him any time with. Uh, Gina Davis' character is this person that puts on an uh, air of contentment, but she doesn't know who she really is. And by the end of the film, they're both redeemed. Right. The bestest part where Samuel L. Jackson is on Larry King at the end of that movie, and he makes that, it's like such a silly joke. And then, you know, uh, Gina Davis' character has like her memory back and everything like that. And once again, it's about like this building this bond and kind of going from there. And the same with um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's about um, Downey's character, like not being a shit heel anymore and starting to become like a person who people can rely on and help things, you know? So that humanity, he's, he always does, in my, my opinion, he always does a good job, especially just the straight up action ones. Iron Man 3 is a little bit of a, of a different thing. Um, that he was kind of fighting against there where he was kind of writing a, to get that character out of the suit and make it more practical, which was fun because there's like a lot of MacGyver stuff in there. But that's that's kind of a separate entity. But the ones we're kind of You're talking- living in an MCU world too. They have such a yeah, Exactly. Age. He's fighting so much there yeah. in that sense. But in the, what we're talking about, and like the ones that are usually the genesis is him and he's kind of creating that. Like he's always, he's setting it in such like um, this kind of, like scuzzy world almost and like of like, you know, maniacally evil bad guys, these kind of things that um, it's like, yeah, you, you the character maybe does these kind of things that are questionable, but then they, they come to the realization of themselves and, and they do the thing that's going to like better the, the world around them, you know, yeah. um, get, you know, get rid of all those drug dealers um, and, and, you know, um, whatever, what are they? Oh, Kruger ads are like what they're, laundering money and in, into right. uh you know or get rid of you know <clears throat> avenge tom atkins daughter <laughs> exactly yeah you're gonna fix that you're gonna you're gonna help this wound find her memory back you're gonna you're gonna um you know solve the case about like the missing sister and and stuff like that and and become a better person from it i think that's you're gonna that's, end apartheid yeah with a racist having sex with a non-racist <laughs> south american woman <laughs> <laughs> having an anti-Semite, known anti-Semite. With yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, but there is that thing where he does kind of add that, that in there. And it's, it's important. Um, it's important just, I think, in a lot of sense. It's like with horror movies, which is something else we talk about, where I think now so much horror movie genre stuff is always like the bad guys win. That's yeah. the scary part of the end of this movie. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, cool. Um, but like, it used to be like Stephen King always talks about it. And like, and you can't really argue with him. He always talks about like, he tries to end his stories on hope. He tries to end it on hope. And I think Shane Black does the same thing. Like you just said, like he ends it on hope and humanity and that like, that we can kind of do that and setting it at the holidays, I think makes that shine a little bit brighter because it's a time when we're supposed to remember to be kind to each other and hopeful 
like at yeah. the end of the year, like you've been saying, and, and just like kind of revel in our humanity a little bit more. To live the opposite way that a lot of us have been living, especially the past couple of years uh, yeah. in the world. I mean, and I do think it's also a good example of, we talk about this all the time, but one of the billion reasons I love just genre is you can bury slash not hide so hidden like an actual theme actual humanity and more so than overwrought drama so it's like you it you might not always hit it like in canon still there'll be things where i'm like oh obviously it's just like well that was problematic but also this is an interesting version of humanity that's an interesting take on humanity. it's not just like the fun romp of it yeah. uh and that's what is so intriguing about shane black and why even like thinking in terms of uh i don't know why i it's not it's an unfair comparison of like him versus sorkin but like again like realizing recently i'm just like oh yeah sorkin comes across as a sociopath even in his like i need to write every episode of a television show and then what happens is you have things like the beginning of the newsroom where you're like okay your network style speech sounds like a whiny boomer uh, who has the wrong idea about what is going on. Was that your point? Because I don't think that was your point. But going by the weird libertarians that are reposting this speech, I'm like, I think you might have missed the mark and you thought you were nailing the mark. Right. Versus, here's this fucking movie about two cops yeah. trying to fucking just like solve a drug case. Yeah, But what we've got is a story of redemption, a story of hope, a story of family. Uh, and that is like the best genre. Like it's yeah. one of the reasons, you know, we look to like pulp novels even. It's because yeah. like, you know, eventually if you're shitting out a pulp novel, you're still probably going to subconsciously put in something. Like Right. And, and I think that that's also the credit to give Donner some credit too, because he's such a big part of that franchise and, and stuff like that. He was the one that changed that ending. And I think, like I said, I always think that, Shane Black learned, he learned from those experiences as it went on and, and what worked and stuff like that. And I think Donner was like, no, like they should go to Christmas dinner together. They should do this to really right. tie it together. So we learn something. So yeah. that's where it's like, once again, that collaboration, like it's like a tip of the hat to Donner for like, you know, throwing that his way. And it's, it's kind of carried over into the rest of his movies. I mean, like, you know, even the last Boy Scout, which doesn't fit under the Christmas theme umbrella, but it's like, once again, it's a guy reconnecting with his wife and becoming a family again with his daughter uh, yeah. after they go on this crazy football laddened racketeering <laughs> adventure with shout out to Taylor Negron, who is uh, awesome, awesome as a bad guy in that movie. R.I.P. So, Taylor Negron, one of the greatest. Yeah. Love you. Uh, and I do think maybe one of the last points we need to make that's very important to remember, uh, Donner is the name of one of Santa's uh, reindeer. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, it all makes sense. It all comes together. <laughs> it's yeah. like the interweaving of it all. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, let's put it this way. We could also say, and all listeners probably know this, but if you want Donner for Christmas without the action, go watch Scrooge. Go do Scrooge. Yeah, yeah, you can do exactly. That, which is basically all the Christmas Donner with, with I mean, he parodies it with that uh, Lee Majors thing in the beginning. Yep. But, uh, Which is you, know, awesome. that, you know, but like in a weird sense, like I love Scrooge. I think it's so great, but also it's, it's once again, that's, it's a lot more sentimental, sentimentality yeah. going on in that film. Yes. than like, you know, what we just talked about with like, uh, with the weapons, stuff like that. You'll get a tear in your eye when you see the star of uh, the co-star of let it ride 
David Johansson, a.k.a. Buster Poindexter, as the cabbie. Just to, on an aside, I, I said this last night because I was listening to, I think, uh, Is That You, Santa Claus by Louis Armstrong came on our Christmas mix while we were decorating our tree. Yes. And then I was reminded again of how wild it is that Buster Poindexter, David Johansson, the singer of New York Dolls, alter ego, a lounge singer, was a thing. It was a thing. Alone, that I had a a poster slash ad of Buster Poindexter hanging on my wall when I was like nine or ten that my dad got from like an amaretto he was like doing an ad for and because I loved Buster Poindexter had no idea who the New York Dolls were yeah but I also loved Buster Poindexter because I was like that's the guy from Let It Ride <laughs> trust me I'll tell you right now seeing David Johansson I've seen him live and it's an even more of a weird experience because he's not play he's not doesn't look nor play or do any of that it's a very jarring experience being like this is not how I originally <laughs> conceived you when I saw Trash, by, when I saw New York Dolls at South by Southwest playing Trash, and I was just like, I, again, had just like such a disconnect yeah. of like Buster Poindexter. And I get it. There's, there was a weird lounge scene that was happening in New York, yeah. avant-garde at that time, even with King Creole and the coconuts and like all this kind of like stuff. But like, yeah, it's just such a wild Right, and that he was such a part of my life, and I had no idea who the New York Dolls were. <laughs> well, also because you know, in all those films, he's not being David Johansson. He's going in with that Buster Poindexter yes. kind of character. Yes. Buster showed up to the set. David went home. David, you know he took his long hair wig off, even though it wasn't a wig. It put out his real hair, a pompadour. Exactly. <laughs> a martini with his finger out. Exactly. And his gravelly voice. Oh, man, I loved him so much. Uh, before we go, are, I mean, are there any last uh, action movies? I mean, we talked about the kind of the main ones. We talked about the main ones, man. We really covered the what I, I like. I had some mental checklists of things I wanted to say today, and I think we really covered them. I mean, I, I once again, like, there's, nothing, I wish, like, it's funny. I just kind of uh, like a commentary in our conversation, like expounding on Die Hard, so hard because it's kind of so tight. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that in, in a sense of, you know, what's there to say, like the casting, everything like that. But, you know, it's been really cool to be able to talk about like Shane Black, the like the the spectrum of his career in this and stuff like that. And and like you said, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's really much more I could think of where it's like there's like hints of Christmas. But besides Reindeer Games, which is sure. kind of Christmas based, but like I don't think there's another one where I'm like really like, oh, like there's this. Yeah, uh, I think I listeners, if you're listening, you know, like tweet at like the Canon Canon Instagram to message me if they're were thinking or missing ones that would have those little bits of yeah. Christmas or anything. I mean, obviously, you're going to get that Shane Blackism is just the the number one. But yeah. I mean, I do think that's a, like you know one of the billion reasons I like to do this podcast, but also why we're constantly talking about these movies is just like it's uh, uh, I don't know there, it, it and and why also like it's not that we watch. I have no interest in watching bad movies. I have interest right. in watching these other movies, like watching and seeing, like they, they, they sometimes speak to the world that exists at that time more so than like, like I was just watching, uh, like uh, uh, I watched the Go-Go Boys. I'm a fucking cliche of myself. Last night I was watching the other Canon yeah. Bros documentary and they were showing the Golden Globes when John Voight was up for Runaway Train but also it was like against John Hurt and Kiss of the Spider, or John, not John Hurt, Kiss of Spider-Woman. Um, William Hurt. William Hurt. I always merge the names. But 
even that, I was just like, who remembers that movie? Like that's, that was the important movie, like to some extent, like, like I think that just like with genre, there's like, uh, you can bury a lot more ideas, but it's also interesting to kind of go through consciously or subconsciously what the hell they were really going for versus as we said, like talking about Die Hard is just like, it's a good movie. Yeah. Like, and then you get the billionth version of, well, even what we talked about before, like something to both of us, like the Sparks documentary or a music documentary where you're like, well, there's not really much of a story. Yeah. Like, and it's not that everyone has to have a terrible story, but like, if there's not a story, then it's not much of a documentation. Same with the movie, like Die Hard. You're just like, yeah, the movie just works. All I can do is watch the movies that made us. Yeah, see the background of how these things were made, but yeah, uh, uh, Die Hard's just great. Uh, it's great, and no. so so is Lead the Web. And there's just like I feel like it's like that. Fr- it, there's like something like you can just break apart the pieces of it a little bit more uh, yeah. and kind of talk about. And I think also because like we we're talking earlier, the template aspect of it is kind of maybe the reason why of that. It's that so many things forth. Um, it's very interesting to constantly watch these things and try to see where it lives in its place and yeah. to see like, because it's so ingrained, it's like you've grown up on the hundred jokes about I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the killer sketch comedy of uh lethal weapon sax, where someone smartly points out how much saxophone. Is right. in there. Oh wait, is that my sketch? Oh yeah. It's very funny. Y'all should watch that. Um, but, uh, you kind of just forget. It's just like, yeah, I mean, also that was, uh, we, as you said, you had 48 hours and then we, there's probably some other lineages were missing in there. But like, it's it, to see the development of these tropes that we have kind of uh, taken for granted at this point. Yeah. It's also interesting to go through. Um, well, John, I mean, this is a dream. This is great, man. This is a great way to start the holiday season. Thanks so much for having me on. This was fantastic. Of course. And uh, thank you for being on. I'm glad we were finally able to do one of these. Yeah. Uh, This won't be the last you hear of John on this because I'll probably be bringing up some text conversation we have. (laughs) That's good, man. I'm happy to, I'm happy for it. (laughs) I want, I want to wish all your listeners a very uh, happy holiday and one filled with, with action. I hope right now you're putting down the eggnog and you're, you're grabbing like your, um, Whatever kind of gun McLean and Riggs both carry. Some sort <laughs> of setup. Snub, not a snub note. I don't know. It's 45. That's Something the beauty. Like that. How, how you're, can you're, it be that we have watched so many action films and I know nothing? I said not. We're, we're all for gun control, Jeff. It's, not, it's, called, it's called imaginary. Yes. Life is about uh, uh, alternating viewpoints and really exactly. you know, being an exactly. enigma. And yes, uh, it is. Uh, we love to live in an imaginary world, you weird. Yes cosplay wannabe cops exactly. out there but I, I hope someone's out there ready to take down a drug ring this christmas all right oh and please to- yeah uh do it for tom atkins well yeah i mean exactly. please. i you mean that's always- also just you know that's my life motto exactly <laughs> you what kill please. them Roger. <laughs> kill them you owe me Wild Tom uh, Atkins. I mean, it's also Godspeed that it's maybe the only Tom Atkins movie he's not trying to fuck like a twenty-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, do we? Ex- do they explain what he owes them for, or do they just leave the it war. open? To- they were in the early part of. I mean, I know that that's that's what took I wanted bayonet, to know. Took a bayonet for him. Took a bayonet. Okay, he does owe him. Yeah, he you gets it. His guts are hurting while he drinks all that eggnog. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's I love that. That is one where you're just like, that's a lot of eggnog. I mean, now I get it. That one, out of everything in there, at could that funeral. be the most, on a funeral, they're like, well, it's still the holiday season. I mean, let's, please, Jesus. 
like, oh, next the liberals are going to make it so that we can't celebrate Christmas at my daughter's funeral. <laughs> Please. They're going to steal Starbucks cups and then my eggnog at the be <laughs> screaming at an old war buddy. Kill them. Kill them. <laughs> um, uh, John, is there uh, anywhere you people can find you at? I know you uh, have like almost not, no I, social you know, media I'm, presence. I have no social media presence whatsoever. Uh, but you go go check out my my podcast. It's a project indie for about a year and a half. Uh, I, it's it's definitely I left it on an ellipse. It's called the Boss Cast. They can go check it out. Uh, Google that. And if you're into Bruce Springsteen, I get to interview some some pretty uh, interesting people about their fandom and that kind of stuff like that. The theme uh, song's very good. Well, oh yes, the theme song is by Jeff Garlock. <laughs> often thanks in that as well. So I'd say check that out if you got the time. It's uh, something I'm proud of. It was a it was a fun, fun, good time there. Good year and a half worth of work. So yeah, it's a good cast. And John and Jeff are married. I will push on that. Maybe half check dead that media. Out as well, gang, find it, Google it, soak it up, make memes of it, send it to us both. You like BSJ? We got we BSJ got with blood in his mouth. We got him. You like Jonathan Fernandez from Lethal Weapon, the TV show? We got him. <laughs> Never even thought about that we craziness. Him. We got him. We got him. You like you like Dead Eyes, the podcast? We got we him. We got Connor Ratliff. We got him. The we one got, thing that we got Connor Ratliff showing up, so then my mom wouldn't stop talking about how it's like it looked like you had your brother there. You know, it's just like I know we look like. Fine. The best is, is Jonathan, when he got that show, I think he'd be okay if I told the story. He was like, he knew I was such a fan of the films and he worked and he like texted me. He's like, you liking the show? And I was like, so flattered. I was like, yeah, it's great. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. He's like, okay, good. Cause like, we, I, I care about the fans. And I was like, yeah, man, it's, you're, you're crushing it. It's great. I mean, you're great. And sure. I was like, it's amazing. Fernandez so. is a fantastic man and is also that he will treat even his friends like fans. So that I was way. just like, dude, this <laughs> is insane. Just insane. In his sincere. I was like, yeah, man. I was like, what happens? I was like, no, I don't. John, be like, all right, I got to bust in that writer's room. Really put it back against the wall. I was like, no, man, keep doing it. <laughs> You're doing doing me proud. I got a friend who I could say is involved with the Lethal Weapon franchise in some way. It's insane. It's a uh, is that show's not on anymore, is it? No, it, it it wrapped. It wrapped. It's a shame that we didn't record this episode when that was on because then Jonathan could have just sent this episode to all the writers right up. and been like, if you're not getting it, listen to these two right. yammer on for two hours, then you'll get that. That, that show had me when they put Damon Williams. It was like, man, last Boy Scout reference. I love the wink. I got <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. So I get it. I get it. I'm all good. <laughs> all right. Well, John, this was fantastic. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, uh, give us some uh, good wrecks out there. But until next week, I'm Jeff Garlock, and this is the Cannon. Cannon. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs>